It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thank you for tuning in once again. This edition is made possible by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Good morning, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning, and joining us this week from Sweden once again, Michael Senna, consultant and publisher of The Dispatcher. Hi, Michael. Good morning, good afternoon. Great to be here again. Michael, always uh, looking forward to our discussion. We never know where it's going to go, but we're glad we're glad it gets there. Absolutely. Well, Michael, you never shy away from tackling the big ones, and leading off in the March edition of The Dispatcher is this headline. It is time we admitted that the world will change. The deindustrial revolution has begun. You have some really eye-opening numbers here. What's happening with the population in China and with vacant office space in New York City? There's a lot to take in here. Yeah, well, I started by saying that there were two pieces of information that, that popped popped up during the last uh, month or so that um, got me thinking about this this whole issue of deindustrialization. And then it was at the same time as I was taking a look at uh, or beginning a, a, a new book that I had seen advertised in, in one of my uh, publications, Slouching Towards Utopia by J. Bradford DeLong. Um, putting all these things together, um, the first is that, that it's looking very much like China is going to be a shadow of its current self um, before this century ends, probably a lot a lot sooner than, than before the end of the century. Um, that's, the birth rate has hasn't really stabilized. It's it's begun to go down, and they've of course they've tried everything to keep the country from having too many children. Uh, it doesn't seem that anything that they did really had any effect at all. It's other external forces that are that are working, and now it's following Japan and and uh, South Korea in terms of of um, fertility rate. So that the projections now are for the country to be you know half of what it what what it is now. Uh, within the next 70 years. The uh, the second piece of information that, that came through was, was that New York City's occupancy rate, or let's say, put it another way, that the, the, the uh, their office space um, occupancy has not recovered from pre-pandemic. It's uh, at currently around 50% of what it was before the pandemic. And uh, the new mayor of, um, of New York City, Eric Adams, is now trying to work out, you know, what do we do with this, with this additional office space? Um, how, do we, how, do we, how do we come back to where we were before? Can we? Uh, his suggestion, it seems that, that uh, he's thinking that perhaps instead of filling these offices up with office workers, that they can uh, convert the offices into residences. Um, and then I go into what, what would that actually mean? I mean, there's, there's enormous numbers of businesses that are based on having the uh, people coming in every day. Um, and it's not the same as having people who are living there. 
so those are the two things that that got me started on the 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 idea that things really are changing and this this uh it, it wasn't a blip on the radar this was and, and it disappeared this is really there and it's coming closer and closer into view and the the implications of of the fact that we're it looks like we're re-entering the artisan society pre-industrial revolution where people lived and worked at home um and decanting from the cities that were created as a result of the industrial revolution which started in primarily started in, in great britain in the mid 1700s and then spread into the rest of europe and eventually into the united states where it got got going around 1870 um creating new cities allowing the the existing cities to to not blossom necessarily but to to mushroom to explode um and then we have we've had the same same experience in in China where the where new cities have have grown as a result of people coming from the the rural areas into the cities where they've they've had to to locate in order to work in the factories that were built there i mean the the this whole process and i think this is something that we we haven't really talked very much about it and we haven't really discussed how this is is all occurred it's since you know we were born and cities were there and and things happened in cities and we talk about congestion and you know what are we going to do when with parking and all of these other things but you know the cities weren't there to the same extent as they were after the the industrial revolution started and it's only been in the united states it's been 150 years and in in britain it's been uh, maybe 250 years where these cities like liverpool and manchester and many others have grown and it's the same through throughout all of europe and and all of the other parts of the of the world where where people have have relocated and now it doesn't seem that it's all that necessary for people to be in cities to the same extent it's not that cities are going to, are necessarily going to go away but if we look at detroit as an example at a, as a big example or scranton or trenton as as lesser examples these cities are in the case of detroit a third of its size in the case of scranton and trenton half of the size that they were when they industrialized when they were founded when they were when they were centers of 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 industry um and at the same time we have cities like Austin and Phoenix which have just you know if you, if you look at the numbers the number of people who are living there compared to what just a few years ago 50 years ago even even less um these cities are have are huge and there's then it's not because of industrialization it's just because people have moved to places where they feel that they want to live where they can expand have a home uh and the 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 jobs have been there as well I mean, but they're not industrial jobs they're they're primarily thinking about how things would be manufactured someplace else as opposed to manufacturing them in in uh, in place so this is this is something that's that's really major um and it is going to have some some enormous implications uh, and repercussions on everything especially transport i think that it's really great what you wrote here and it's it's captivating and it it is it is of course really good because of the 
perspective you put everything in. But if you if you sort of look, the fundamentals of industrialization is that you brought you brought resources, energy, and then you needed human flexibility, intelligence, muscle power to bring those things together to produce something somewhat efficiently such that it could serve markets. You know, you had to have, you had an assembly line putting together a car. And so you needed a ton of people to grab stuff, put stuff, do, 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 da, 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 and the whole process to do that. But if you look at office work, why is, as I like to say, Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs, bringing a ton of people down to Wall Street every day to sit on computers and phones? I guess they do interact personally a little bit, but... They don't need to be together. Yet, yet, if you're at Henry Ford's assembly line trying to make a car, you better be there with the wrench because you didn't happen to have a, a robot there that, that did the wrench. So you needed a human there. And so if we're, if we're going to produce things like this shirt instead of in, in, in Lower Manhattan in the garment district – where you had to have a ton of people there to, you know, some sewed buttons, some did logos. I don't know what they did. I do. My mother was. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, understood. But you, you, you don't need the people there to produce it. And then you look at doing it efficiently, economically, environmentally, da, 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 da. You don't need to bring them together, and so the 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 the, the you know why? Is, I mean, you needed a bunch of people in Detroit to work the lines. You needed a bunch of people in Trenton to 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 make ceramics and 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 cars. General Motors had a had a plant assembly plant there. I don't know if it was, a, it was a parts plan. I don't know what kind of plan it was, but whatever kind of plan it was and, and all those things. And But now, look at us. Now, of course, we would love to be together, kumbaya or whatever. But, you know, we come reasonably close and on an efficiency basis, whether you include energy, time, money, whatever in your efficiency equation, this is a pretty darn good medium to do this. We we really don't need to be together. Yeah, and if well, we're going to be posted, we're going to be post-industrialization, <clears throat> then we're post that. I don't know what we're into. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to take the it's now 8 billion people on the planet. I have no idea, but, um, you know, that ship sailed. It's interesting, though, because uh, you do see some companies today, you see some headlines saying that uh, I guess they're large corporations for the most part that are starting to require people to come back into the office at least most of the time. But maybe on a broader scale, 
the companies that aren't quite so big are, are realizing the savings and the efficiencies that, no, they don't have to come back into the office. And any thoughts what we're seeing there, how that's working out? Yeah, but I think the, the um, this began well before the, the pandemic. The pandemic just just allowed it to take a, a very, very quickly take form, and we could see how things worked without people being together. Now, this is not everybody. You, know, you can't get firemen doing their job over the Internet. So the, we're, we are the non-essential workers. I mean, the essential workers, people who worked in the in the hospitals, and the you know, I was going to say school teachers, but even even to a certain extent, school teachers, depending on the year. But there are lots of people who have to do their job every day, and that included the people who were watching the ro- the robots making the the cars. You know that they they couldn't just stay at home. There had to be people there, and it's it's not a huge percentage that are that can stay at home. It's a it's a it's a greater percentage of people that need to be where they need to be, and we we could see that in the after the first month or two of of the pandemic, we saw with it, with traffic, you know, being recreated, um, people weren't getting on buses and, and on on the, on subways underground, but they were getting in their cars because they had to get to work. You know, the the the, car, the, the companies couldn't continue to operate without people there. So it wasn't 50%. It was more like 60 to 70% of the people had to be in work. But 30% is, is, a, is a large number. And then now when you look at the, the, the vacancy rates of in New York City of 50%, um, that could probably go down even more because those are, there, there are lots of non-essential people who, you know, who could just as easily stay home, whether it's in Staten Island or, or in Princeton, and not get on the, the, the dinky and go to – to the, the, you know, get on the train and then go into New York City or Philadelphia, um, and and if they don't have to do that, they don't have to live in in Morristown. They don't have to live in a, in a state where the where the taxes are are high. They can move to Texas, and they can do the jobs that are that they want to do, and they can go play golf and you know or, or to Phoenix or Sandy. Well, no, not San Diego's in California. Um, you know, Phoenix, and do what they what they like to do when they're not working, uh, and still continue to do the job that they do when they are working. Uh, and this doesn't, you know, I think one of the reasons why why this isn't really being discussed is is because the the whole narrative has been has been um, kidnapped, hijacked by the by the climate group who want people to be living in cities because there we can control all of their movements. They can walk and take, take, you know, electric bicycles and do all of this great stuff. Whereas if you look at the real numbers where, where people are moving and moving out of and moving to people aren't going down to, to Phoenix to live in a high rise apartment building. They aren't going to, to, uh, to Austin, you know, to live in a, in a, in a, you know, park, a park Avenue um, condo. They're moving to these places so that they, where they've got space, where the land is cheap, and they they can expand into huge amounts of area, and have an have a, a house that, that that fits their income. So if it's a two thousand square foot, two thousand square foot house, uh, or a four thousand square foot house, or a ten thousand square foot house, they whatever they can afford, they can build in these places because the the land is there. 
if, if you if you have to dig a ditch, you have to go where the ditch needs to be dug. Sure. If you have to repair a bridge, you have to go to the place where the bridge needs to be repaired. And those places tend to be distributed in many cases and don't require that that many folks, but some, to do mm-hmm. that. But the large sort of organizational bringing together to produce things, one with a large number of people, seems to be behind us instead of ahead of us because we're replacing those many of the things that when we don't do very well and don't really want to do by robots that Mm -hmm. can do that okay but we still need some people yeah but then if you look at the office building i mean really they're all in there in some big conference room all interchanging all, all day long i you know i I'm stuck here in the in the Princeton bubble, so I don't see it. Although I must admit, if it comes to education, teaching, there's no doubt. I mean, I have tough enough time communicating in a classroom. Communicating yeah. over this stuff is it, it helps. The 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 MIT lecture series is fantastic done on zoom but mm-hmm. that's one that's one component that's that's one component and we can take all this this distributed interaction and actually enhance the product that we're trying to pursue but it still is going to require some coming together by some but the issue is is you require the enormous masses that exists that that we were still doing just a few years ago, and especially the kinds of things that are produced in downtowns, doesn't seem to be necessarily the place where those things should should be produced. And and, and if you look at the, the trials and tribulations that somebody has to go to to get there and get out of there because it's focused and it has everybody going and because they maybe need to be, the, the whole thing is like, condensed because they sort of need to be there at the same time and so on apparently I mean you gotta use Metro North or New Jersey Transit and I guess that's kind of good New Jersey Transit rail service is really very good but my I think this is going to change this is what I'm this is what I'm saying Now, this is going to change. It's not that old. We haven't been doing it for that long. It began in the United States around 150 years ago. That's not a long time. There's so much. And, and the reasons that it occurred, if, we, if you really go back to it, why did we why did we concentrate in the first place? You know, why didn't we build a lot of these small things around? And it was because the energy needed to be transmitted to the, to the things that were building these, you know, the more it was concentrated, the less money was spent in order to get the things done. We didn't have a distributed system in the in the early days with with electricity where you could be in different places. Of course, we didn't have any communication method. We didn't have the telephone. We had telegraph. We didn't have a, an immediate form of telegraph. So all of these technologies that were necessary created the need to have concentrated cities. and And it happened over a very short period of time. And then for example, cities like like Scranton and Trenton, they had a life 
which was less than 50 years when they were in the growth period. And then it just tailed off. I mean, there was in the early 1900s, Scranton was larger, much larger than, than Phoenix. I mean, Phoenix was, wasn't even, was, was a little dot. In fact, even Los Angeles at a, at a point in time, Los Angeles in the early 1900s really hadn't grown to any size at all. So the, these things have, they've, they've, they're not that old which means that they can also change. That's why I started the article by, by talking about Rome and talking about, about Constantinople. <laughs> um, you know, history, history, history does have lessons for us if we, if we just spend a little bit of time and you know, think about them and read about them. We, we can learn a lot about what, what, where we're going by looking a little bit in the past. So um, it was fun to write. Um, you have some advice here for automakers and such, and uh, I guess you can talk about the, the ramifications on, on transport, what what you feel is me. Under, under the title of getting, getting to 2100 and beyond, I said at the outset that things are going to be very different at the start of the next century compared with how they are today, but it, not, it may not look and feel that way. That, that's another thing. Um, and, I, and I've got these pictures. One is a street scene by Edward Hopper, one of my favorite artists, uh, that looks very similar to, to Raleigh, North Carolina in 2022. Hopper's was in 1934. You know, when I go back to Scranton, it looks pretty much like it looked when I was growing up. Now, that was like half a century ago, um, almost as long as it's going to take to get to the to the next century. Things don't look, they don't change that often. They don't change that much. If you go to Istanbul today, it looks a lot like it, like Constantinople looked in 1743. Um, there, there are changes that occur dramatically, like the cities in Ukraine, which are being bombed out of existence by the Russians. Those kinds of changes occur. Um, they can be, they sort of can be fixed if you look at what's, what's been done in, in many of the cities that were, that were destroyed during the World War II and World War I. But I have a, a, an image of a residential tower block in Shanghai, China, which I don't think that that kind of way of living is going to last very long because of what's occurring now, people not having to go to cities. So I have some advice. One of the, my my piece of advice is to is to the Chinese, you know, to change their laws so that that the people who are migrating to the cities can actually live there and not have to go back to where they came from, because they'd have to do that today. They they can't bring their families to the cities. The kids can't go to school in the cities. They have no health care. They have no no you know medical facilities. They have to go back. This this migration that occurs which was the beginning of the, the pandemic when, when that started, um, they have to leave the cities and go home because that's where their families are. They can't bring their families into the cities. So this is, this is, these are, there are certain things, that fundamental things that are going to change, I believe. But when it comes to our, our friends who are building cars, um, the car companies have done a very good job, I think, over the last hundred years of changing to meet the needs of individuals. They have, they have modified, they, have, they haven't morphed into other companies, but they have created products that people over these years have wanted to buy. And I think that they can continue to do that. 
they without any any involvement or or meddling by either the European Union or the the you know the the federal government in the United States of telling them forcing them into doing things which may turn out to be a very bad idea I mean the, the car companies have done pretty well they've had they've had some assistance in making the car safer you know thanks to, to good legislation the creation of, of NHTSA was a very good thing that they that they've done um, but when you start telling them how to build their cars and what kind of cars to build that's where you're going to start to get yourself in trouble it's like that's like saying you know this is the industry that we should be we should be getting into we, let's put a lot of money into into being in this industry that hasn't worked out well at all I mean we can see the results of that in in, in Russia uh, and when you, if, if you've got economies that are being you know being pushed into the to what they should be doing by by bureaucrats and politicians they generally don't know what they're doing so um, the companies that have done the right things, that have that have been able to change, they're still in business. The companies that have not done that, they're long gone. You know, companies like Saab, for example, and a few others we can talk about. Um, I know there's a, there's a lot to digest in this. There's a lot to discuss, and and I think that that um, I hope that folks will read it and have some ideas and send back their ideas to me. I've had some comments already that have that have come in, um, but I think it's something that we we can take as a as a as a bigger issue and discuss it in more more depth. I'd like to see more thought being put into this this, particularly by the automobile industry. And that one thing that they should be doing is getting out of this. I'm going to listen to you. And you're going to tell me what to do, and then I'm going to do it, and everything's going to be fine. And start to be proactive and say, this is what we should be doing. This is how we should be working. And this goes for people who are making cars and people who are building building cities and and, and trying to, to manage cities. You have another section, Michael, and, of course, a second, the, the, the motion that people should be reading the, the full article here. It's a, yeah, it's a, absolutely. Really amazing. This, is, this is a slow read, not a fast read. I know some of the things that are presented to us not today. They even say, hey, you can read this in three minutes and then move on to the next thing, which, which kind of drives me nuts. I mean, really, uh, this is one that you want to sit and you want to think about. Uh, with respect to these issues, because because this is a this is a somewhat big play because because of the trans, transformation that is happening here, and then the implications on a whole bunch of things. Uh, Michael did mention the re, the response of the car manufacturers. I mean, if you look, they are over the last fifty years, you know, sort of my professional life. They've become a heck of a lot more efficient, a heck of a lot more environmentally responsible, a heck of a lot uh, safer, um, and a heck of a lot more comfortable and everything. And, and, and my goodness, you, you know, I, I used to have to be under my car more than I was in it, yeah. repairing it. And, you know, and, and I don't even I, – I, I have – the car that I drive, I don't know that I've ever opened the hood. I mean, my goodness, the thought of 50 years ago, I would be driving a car that you don't I don't even look 
under this the hood what the heck have i turned into i mean my goodness i've lost that i i know i've lost it but i didn't realize how completely i've lost it so you used to have to spray something in the carburetor to get the thing to start sometimes. Oh my yeah. goodness! You should have you should have seen me with a leaf blower yesterday. I mean, you know, uh, I'm just I'm, you know never. Does but it, I did th- fix it. Does, it. does it take a leaf blower to get your car started? No, it was something else that I was. I mean, you know, I'm clean. I, never mind. I, I've become doing yard work guy. Uh-huh. You know, I finally found my profession. <laughs> Maybe I'm not very good at it. I guess I'm. You know. <sighs> Michael from the yeah. Dispatch Central section here. You take a look at run flat tires, and Michelin has what they call unique puncture proof tire system. I mean, to to most of us, boy. The idea sounds pretty great. Yeah, well, it's it, it is pretty great, and I think um, uh, thank thank our friend Ken Pyle for for putting me on to this uh, this issue with with uh, the smart the smart tire company, um, which which may or may not be around for a while, but uh, you know there are enough companies like like uh, like Michelin. Um, who are developing tires, which most likely are not going to require air in the future. Uh, they're not going to be able to to blow out and cause all kinds of, of awful accidents. And and uh, you know, I've got a picture here of the rover, the Mars rover. A lot of this technology is coming to us from uh, from space space exploration, space technology, including the materials that are going into it. The problem is right now that they, they can do all of these things that, that but they're very expensive and they're not necessarily very comfortable. But they're getting close. I mean, it's it's uh, run flat tires now are expensive. They're more expensive when it when it comes to um, to buying them and and especially replacing them. But um, you know, the next time I look at, at my tires, I'm going to definitely take take a look, a strong look at, at buying run flat tires because they're they're it's a no brainer. I mean, if you if you can. If you can get on with with life without having to get a somebody to come and and help you out, um, I, it's worth it. Definitely worth it. May not bode well for AAA. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the Tire, tires are tire. yeah, tires. Yeah, but yeah. the tire, tires are are so fundamentally important to cars. Mm-hmm. The ride quality that you get out of the secondary suspension that a tire gives you, that I'm not sure that folks have yet to figure out how to provide that, that secondary suspension in a, I'll call it elegant of way, originally with rubber from Vietnam that may have gotten us into that whole problem, so it didn't have its you know potential. Who knows what downside associated with it? But to put that in there and to do it, let's say, as effectively and and economically responsibly way that that the tire companies have done up to this point. And have the extent of the reliability such that, you know, the last time I got a blowout was, I don't know, whatever, a long time yeah. ago. Hmm. 
I mean, the the tire the tire is is in some sense the mar- part of the marvel of the automobile revolution or whatever we want to call it. You know, absolutely phenomenal. And to think that you may be able to do this without rubber, without air, and of course, what you do with a tire after it's worn off and put who knows what into the air as it wears and then have to somehow get rid of it, which are all non-trivial things that people always seem to fail to talk about, but enormously challenging. I think you, you know, some of that can go away. The front end, we've gone away from the rubber trees, but who knows what we've brought along with us to replace it. And then they have to get rid of it on the downstream. I mean, if, if, if one of these tires does work, then maybe, you know, maybe the source of the materials, maybe the manufacturing process, maybe the whole thing, in fact, in scale, comes down to order a magnitude reduction in what the cost of tires are and give you this secondary ride qual- uh, <clears throat> suspension system that's so key to the mobility. Yeah, Michael. But the suspension, the suspension part is going to have to be taken care of by the by what's outside yeah. of the tire rather than the inside of the tire. All of the upsides, yeah. and, I've, and I pointed them out in this in the article with with what, what's what occurs with tires today, the amount of pollution that occurs with them, even even if they're you know burned, they're not recyclable. Um, all of that stuff does go away with a different kind of tire now course you have another kind of material that needs to go into it and that's the problem the materials are expensive to be to be uh, to produce a tire that that is flexible um, you know that, that moves according to the way it should a car should move um, but what one of the reasons why I write about these things is to, to indicate there are th- good things that are being done by good people we're looking at a lot of areas where we can both you know, help the climate out as well as improve safety. So for those people, and I'm now I'm mentioning people who glue themselves to roads, people who, who you know, get up in front of, of, uh, of large, large uh, gatherings like at the UN and say, you're not doing anything. You know, my life is being affected and you're not doing anything. I have no future because you've, you're going to take the planet away from me. There are lots of people who are doing a lot to, to ensure that we have a planet in 70 years or so, 77 years, when, the, when we get to 2100. That's, that's my little, little spiel. You know. <laughs> You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> as, as we know, you know, I mean, I can't even think of 77 years from now because I'm not going to make it. And I wouldn't want to make it. And so, you therefore, that's going to be somebody else's problem. Oh, man, yeah. no. I'd, oh, and people don't want me to make it. I mean, <laughs> folks out there that have had enough of me. So, you know. We're going to turn to the latest uh, smart driving cars newsletter in the interest of time here, Alan. So that yeah. on top, uh, GM's plan to deploy the cruise origin is is on hold as the feds weigh an exemption request here. And I guess they've had this uh, request in for a little while now. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it is time for me to hang it up because I guess, um, you know, uh, for some reason, uh, I didn't stumble over the blog post until a few days ago. And I thought it was um, it was a a recent one from from Cruz. They still have it up on their on their system. Um, um, Yeah, this whole issue. I mean, it's been it's been it's been in front of NHTSA for some time. Neuro, I guess, got a positive response I, i'm not sure if if gm has gotten a positive response yet apparently not or at least i haven't seen it and and my goodness you know what what, what gm is trying to do with the origin vehicle is is to really provide some mobility to folks uh that um, that really don't have good mobility and have been left behind and and you know it's nice to see that NHTSA is making sure that everything is safe, uh, but NHTSA has has two objectives really. One is safety, but they also have a mobility objective. Because if their objective is only safety, then the best way to get safety is have everybody stay at home. <sighs> then there won't be any crashes. Okay, but what makes their their safety a real challenge is that they also need to champion mobility. And so there's a trade-off there that they have to do between those two things. Otherwise, you know, if you want to extremize safety and get everybody safe, stay home. As I like to say, if I don't travel, I stay home, my house might burn down and I'll die in a fire or something. And therefore, maybe I would have been better off traveling. I know that's a little flippant and whatever, but 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 it's so they have a, a mobility objective, and there, if there is something that comes forward that has the opportunity to really enhance mobility, if for example you don't bother with a with a with a a, a, a sun visor, or you don't bother with a steering wheel, because. <laughs> You know, what the steering wheel creates an electrical signal that then goes to a motor that then turns the steering stuff. Uh, what do you do? Do you really need the wheel? Maybe maybe the wheel's unimportant. What's the purpose of the wheel? Crushing in my chest or collapses as, I, as, as it crushes in my, you know, what's the big deal here? And the opportunity that the origin vehicle provides to me is the opportunity to take a, the, the driverless experience that the cruise has developed in at least some places some of the time and put a vehicle in there that can actually prov- have an opportunity to provide you know, safe, affordable, because it's it's a shared ride vehicle, as I point out, and again, once again, you know, my elevator analogy. My goodness, we wouldn't have to worry about the high rises in 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 um, in Shanghai uh, having anybody live in them if they didn't have elevators. <laughs> Boy, nobody would take the steps, or if they had elevators that only took. There were personal elevators, only took one person, maybe in Trump Tower, okay? 
but every other ones, you know, the the demand responsiveness of an elevator to accommodate surges essentially as easily as it accommodates one, but because it accommodates surges in demand where it's natural to have people just do it together because they happen to show up at the same time, going to about the same place and share that elevator, then the efficiency, the economy, the sustainability, the uh, everything else associated, the, the, the equity, da, 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 all, of sudden, all of a sudden comes comes from that. So what's the origin vehicle? It's a vehicle that may be able to do that horizontally in some places in some time. My goodness, NHTSA should be out saying, GM, please produce this, because this helps us meet our mobility objective part. We're, we're a public agency. It's not just one, hey, just safety, the hell with everything else. We have safety and mobility. Because otherwise, if it's, hey, I'm not going to repeat myself. Michael? So we're waiting We're waiting here, uh, I guess, uh, for, for, for NHTSA. Yeah, I and, guess uh, we're waiting, and, and you know, and people are waiting at the bus stop, and there's no bus coming, and they can't get to get to where where they want to go, and they have to walk. They have to use the steps. You have to use the steps in the apartment building. You're definitely not living in there. Okay. What I've what I've not seen from Pizza, nor any other transport agency, and what I've not seen from any of these car companies any of the companies that are producing cars uh, which don't have steering wheels and don't have controls and don't have drivers <clears throat> is a context. I mean, they have talked about operational design domains as if it's something that's, that's sort of magical. You know, this thing operates in it. And for them, an operational design domain is, is Phoenix. It's, it's San Francisco. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's midtown Manhattan as opposed to the complete context, if you don't have an idea of how these cars, vehicles are going to be used, how they're going to transport people, how they're going to, to get them from where they are to where they're going to go, if you just say, well, it's just like any other car, it's going to do exactly what everything else does, except it's not going to have a driver, that, that's insane. So Nietzsche doesn't have it's a insane. framework. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. It's not Nietzsche. reachable. It's it's just it, you got to cut it out. Yeah, I mean, Nietzsche you know. doesn't have a framework for evaluating this, and that's why they're taking so long to do it. And these companies, instead of saying, you know, there's this idea that this guy, he, I, we know that he's kind of strange and he has he has weird ideas, but <laughs> this this guy over in Princeton, he's been talking about this concept. <laughs> Of uh, you know he's put a name on it called Trenton Moves, but that's not the point. You know this is how it's going to work. Let's try to do this, and then you give something to to Nietzsche that they can evaluate, and you give something to the companies that are producing this that they can actually try to implement. And now you've got something. Right now we've got nothing. We've got a car that's going to run around without a steering wheel, and we have no idea how it's going to work and what it's going to do. We know that other cruise vehicles have had problems when they haven't had drivers, right? We, they have car, they have cars running around in San Francisco without drivers at at strange times. The same is true with Waymo down in down in uh, well wherever they're they're operating, and we know that there are problems related to this, <clears throat> as opposed to 
you know, we have we have a complete solution here. We're going to do this. This is how it's going to work, and this is how it's, we're going to we're going to carry people, and this is what we're going to try to prove. And we can actually evaluate the result of this, and then you can make the next step. You can make the next decision. It's a, we're not doing that. We're just saying, yeah, I mean, let's, yeah, let us do it, and we'll we'll be okay. The, the, I, the, the, I guess they have the objective is they want to do it everywhere at all time. Oh, yeah. Hey, great. Let's do it everywhere at all time. Sure. That may have been an aspiration at some point. My goodness, that is infinitely difficult. Okay. And whether mm-hmm. or not we even achieve that by the next century, I doubt it. Certainly, hey, we'll never achieve everywhere every time. The everies are never achieved. Ever, except death and taxes, whatever. Okay, I don't think the GM proposed origin to NHTSA to say, hey, we're going to put this in showrooms and sell it to everybody and have them take it everywhere anytime. I would hope not, because then NHTSA better come back and say, whoa, you know, that's a heavy lift. But... Waymo and, 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 and GM Cruz know where their systems work and don't work. And unfortunately, we hear about all the places they don't work mm-hmm. because it's you know not worth anybody writing about where they do work. They should be out there saying, no, we aren't going to put this where it doesn't work. We have defined an operational design domain. We think it really works well. And in fact, that operational design domain that we've designed this thing where it works well delivers enormous public benefit affordably. Okay? Mm-hmm. Including environmentally. And if they did that, then maybe maybe at least the people that would use it would, would stand up and applaud it or just use it. Nobody applauds the elevator. Okay, but my goodness, without that elevator operating automatically without a driver, you know, New York City has building heights of Paris. And, you know, you you don't want to go up the, nobody lives on the sixth floor either. Sorry, whatever. Well, another headline we want to get to, Alan, autonomous platooning startup Locomation is denying reports that it's closing, but the CEO says the company has reduced most of its non-engineering headcount. Yeah, I have my own comments with respect to what ends up being written versus what ends up being said versus whatever versus whatever versus whatever. I mean, the miscommunication that's out here is is like, I don't know. Okay, and I can't imagine, I can imagine the frustration of the, of the locomation CEO because, you know, I see the headlines. Of course, it's in the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, and since I'm a Stiller and a Penguin fan, you know, I get the Post Gazette every morning on, on my computer. And my goodness, oh my, how much more bad news is this, is this technology going to get hit with? Well, you know, there, so I don't know what the story is. Guess what? Most of us don't know what the inside story is on most things. Right. Well, from the insider, <laughs> this headline, Elon Musk has promised self-driving Teslas for years. Experts say it's not even close. That headline. And then, of course, Elon Musk is due to deliver his next, quote, master plan on, on Wednesday. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and you know, and and I had a great conversation with with Tim Levin for about an hour about this. And you know, the thing that I I, I tried to stress in that conversation is one: I don't want to talk about full self driving using that term. We all know it's a terrible name. We all know that Elon should move on from it. We all know there's baggage in the back. It's it's whatever. We're looking to go forward, not backwards. Okay. And then, of course, you know, the, the quote that he picks out of, you know, every is not achievable anywhere. That's my, my, my statement. Okay. So to say that I'm, you know, whatever with every and the do, da, 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 whatever. So anyway, I am the world's worst communicator. I think about, you know, the very good conversation that I had with Tim compared to the quote that appeared in the article. And I say, oh, my goodness, I totally failed in that conversation. So I'm a basically, you know, close to putting up a time for me to move on. What the hell have I done in 50 years of, of trying to teach kids by speaking to them? I guess I accomplished nothing. I think people should be watching the podcast. I mean. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. You know, spend your time somewhere else. I don't know. Just read Michael's thing and, and think. Well, you mentioned before the MIT Mobility Forum. You were the leadoff speaker, and that's continuing. People can find it at mobilityinitiative.mit.edu slash events. We want to thank uh, Michael for spending time with us again uh, Michael, always terrific. Thank you so much. Always enjoyable to be here, to listen. Thank you. And to, Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Thank you. The oh, website no. for Michael is michaellsenna.com. Thank you to CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, for helping to make this podcast possible. CARTS is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you get your podcast from. Smart speakers can play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening or watching. Please stay safe.